Uh, it's my pleasure to learn from Steve Pink this morning. Steve will be coming on staff here. If I'm keeping track, I think it's 20 days, 13 hours, and 27 minutes. Not that I'm that excited. He'll be coming on as a director of ministry here. And so he'll be bringing uh, the second sermon of this new series, Broken and Beautiful. Uh, if you have your Bibles, the passage for this morning is Mark 2 verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles stowed away in the chairs in front of you. Please turn there. I think the page number is 837. Again, we're reading Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men, and they could not get him near because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven." Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Come on, we can do better than that. Good morning. All right, let me get situated up here for a moment. Um, thank you, Ransom, for the introduction. I, too, am excited about joining up forces with Grace Prez. I'm really excited about coming on staff soon. We've got a couple more weeks. I've invited some Young Life friends here today um, that, uh, that I will miss dearly but still be a part of their lives. So thank you guys for being here today. Um, let me start with uh, just following up with what Ransom had said. We are, this is our second uh, sermon in the series. It's a six-week series that we're, we're calling Beautiful and, or Broken and Beautiful. And if you're just joining us today for the first time, or maybe it's the first time even online, uh, I want you to know a couple things. Last week, Ransom preached on our mission statement, which is uh, gathering broken people together to live out the whole gospel. Gathering broken people people together to live out the whole gospel. That's what we want to be about here at Grace, and that's why we've planted a church. There are plenty of great churches in Northeast Columbia. There are plenty of great Bible-believing and Bible-teaching churches in, North, in Northeast Columbia. We're, we want to be one of them that joins in with the church at large, and we feel like our hope here is that we want to gather broken people together. We want people to be able to be themselves, to be honest, to be able to admit and, and, uh, and share struggles, to walk through life arm in arm as believers uh, in this world. And as you'll see, one of the ways that we're going to do that as a church is through uh, this value of, of searching, which is 
what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, this value of search. We actually have five values uh, that uphold this mission statement as a church. One of those values is search. Over the next couple weeks, we will uh, do the rest of them, which are welcome and nourish and care and grow. And that's what we believe those five values are helping us to uphold this mission in Northeast Columbia as Grace Presbyterian. And so this morning, as I said, we're going to be focusing on the first value, which is search. And I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get started in Mark chapter 2. Lord, we are thankful for this morning. God, thank you for gathering these people, broken and all. Lord, uh, all types of people in this room this morning to worship you. And Lord, we pray as we um, open your word, as we read your word, as we preach your word, Lord, that uh, your name would be glorified, that the Holy Spirit would speak this morning to our hearts. God, I pray that we would put down the focus of, of this week, of the things that we need to get done today even, or are thinking about, and we would just rest as Joe prayed uh, and shared about children jumping onto the king's lap. Lord, that we would come and sit on your lap this morning and listen and be changed by you, Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I said uh, we're, we're focusing on search. Let me give you the definition that our church, that the session when they were drawing this up, this is what they talked about. Of When we say search, it can mean a lot of different things. This is what we're talking about. We will seek and search out and share the good news of the gospel with the lost. We'll seek and search out, and share the good news of the gospel with the lost. Um, friends, last week, Ransom preached on the Great Commission. We're all somewhat familiar with that, where Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he gives us uh, this commission. We're uh, somewhat of a military church. We have some current military, ex-military, I should say retired military, um, in the room. And, and all of you guys know that there's this process of commissioning for those that are officers in the military, they're commissioned, they're given power and authority by the U.S. Army or by the U.S. Navy to go and, and handle all things that they are given with the authority of the Army, right? In their, in their rank, in their file. We are commissioned by the Lord Jesus. We're commissioned. We're commissioned to go and to reach the lost. And, and that is why one of the first values that we have at this church is we want to be people that don't just know a lot about Scripture, that don't just know the right things to say, but actually live them out and practice them in our daily lives. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 2, obviously, as Ransom read it. Um, and then we're going to, I'm going to just give you a couple things that I think hold us back as people from living this out. All right, so this morning um, we looked at, we read chapter two of Mark, and there is a lot of stuff in the scripture, in this passage that we could pay attention to. A lot of stuff that would be great for, for us to uh, talk about this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe give a few uh, that, that stuck out to me. I uh, wonder what strikes you. One to me is Jesus' miracle. That might be something that stood out to you. We, we oftentimes read through the miracles of Christ like they're fairy tales more than historical accounts. This really happened. He really told somebody to get up 
and take their mat and walk. And the man really did get up and take their mat and walk. It might be uh, Jesus proving that He's God. We might spend a little bit of time on that. But that might stick out to you. You might wonder, Jesus, you might be sitting in here and going, I think He's a good man. I think He's a good teacher. I think He was moral. But was He God? Well, that's really important to know and to settle a question like that. That might be something that stuck out to you. And we're going to see how Jesus proves He was God. You, you might be wondering the unbelief of the religious elite. That's something that I think tends to trigger uh, my heart. It, it tends to trigger Jesus' heart. The unbelief of the religious elite. This morning though, what we're going to spend time on, I think where there's a lot that we could say, there's a lot that we could share. I think where we're going to circle up and really spend some time on are the four men. That's what I want to spend time on this morning. There's a lot of profitable things for us to teach inside of Mark 2, but this morning, I want to start off with the four men. They, they, um, they fascinate me. These four men. We don't know much about them, do we? We don't know where they came from. We don't know how they're related to uh, the man that's on the mat. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but what what fired in my mind as I read Mark chapter 2, and and maybe this was true for you, I begin to think, what drove these men to pick a man up, dead weight essentially, by a corner of a mat, and carry them for who knows how long, then to carry them not only to a house, but on top of the house, then not only to on top of the house, but through a roof, and then not only through a roof, but lowering him down in front of the one that they believed could do something to heal him. It fascinates me, y'all. I look at this and I go, what does that look like in my life? That's one of the questions I love when you read Scripture. You begin to ask yourself, okay, this is a historical account. This is living and active even in my life today. It's as applicable to me today as it was when it was written. How does it affect me? Maybe you ask that question. I often ask the question too. I I read it and I asked, who carried my mat to Jesus? Who is the mat bearer, the corner bearer for my mat to Jesus? And I begin to ask the question, whose mat am I carrying to Jesus? Whose corner of a mat have I picked up and am beginning to take to Jesus? We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But as we look into uh, chapter 2, let's just get some context of what's going on. If you want to look at verse 1, Jesus uh, returned, they returned to Capernaum, and after some days it was reported that He was home. You guys probably know Jesus was from Galilee, about 20 miles away. But Capernaum was His home during His three years of ministry. Often out of Peter's house, uh, the, the apostle Peter is usually out of the house that they They stayed and lived and worked out of. And so it says that they returned home and many were gathered around. Um, If you've ever wondered what Jesus was like and what people thought of Jesus, they were fascinated by Him. Uh, They were were drawn to Him. And and some for for reasons of, of wanting to fight, of wanting to rebuke Jesus, But there was something about Jesus that drew people to them, to Him. And they wanted to know. They wanted to see. They wanted to hear firsthand who this Jesus was. And so they're crowded. It says that they're crowded 
into a house so much that they could not get near to them because of even the door was jam-packed. It was bottlenecking through the door. Friends, put yourself in this situation for a moment. They're, they're literally looking through the door trying to find a peak hole where they can see and hear. Outside of the, the I'm going to take some liberty here, but outside of the door, I guarantee there was people back there going, shh, shh, what? What did he say? Shh. They wanted to hear this rabbi teach. He was different, and they had never heard or seen anyone quite like him. It says, verse 4, and when they could not get near them, um, they came carrying a, a paralytic. There's four men. When they couldn't get near him, because of the crowd in the door, it says that they removed the roof. Friends, we all have one of these guys in our group, right? There's always one of these guys in our group. We got there, and I imagine the conversation, there was two or three of them that were like, hey, we tried. It's just not the right day. You know, like maybe tomorrow when it's not as crowded, we'll come back. Uh, typically, there's some kind of conversation, but one of the, uh, the guy that's usually drinking Monster Energy drinks or Red Bull, let's get up on the roof. Maybe we can hear him more on the roof, and they get up on the roof. And uh, they couldn't hear him any better, and they, they couldn't see him. And that same guy was like, let's vandalize the house. Like, let's just put a hole in the roof. There's this very, I want you guys to hear and feel the Scripture happening. There, there's the roof in that time was, was made of some clay and dirt and sticks. And, and they began removing these things. And as Jesus is talking, you can bet there are, there are like, Dirt, dirt kind of sifting down from the roof. And then there's like a branch, you know, and then there's like, a, there's literally like a big cave, enough to fit a whole man through. And, and, and depending on what your thoughts on Jesus are, or maybe what your, your, your first um, thoughts on Jesus were, you would, you would look at this and you'd go, I wonder what Jesus would do here. I wonder if he would fire up and go, knock it off, I'm teaching, you know? Who, whatever your, your, your thoughts on Jesus are, whatever, how that's been shaped, what, what the Scripture tells us, the truth of who Jesus is, He responds like this, y'all. He responds, and again, I'm, take some liberty, but He doesn't fire back at them being up there. He actually, I think, looks up and smiles. Smiles because of the faith of these four men to do all that is necessary to bring this man before the one who is able. I think he smiled. I think he probably stepped back and he probably directed him down. Because what we see here is it says this. It says, uh, when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, it says nothing about Jesus being frustrated that his sermon was interrupted or his teaching. It says nothing about Jesus being upset about the roof being destroyed. All that is in focus here is Jesus being uh, excited and, and, and um, interested in the fact that these men, out of faith, believed and trusted him, in him as the healer. I think He loves that. I think He loves when you and I come to Him in faith. And so they drop this man uh, before Jesus, uh, gently of course, and 
they get before Jesus, and what does Jesus say? He says, son, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, not so-and-so or, or the dude who just came through the, the roof. He said, son, this, this, this very fam- this family-oriented title, son, your sins are forgiven. He heals the most important part of this man's life, his heart, his relationship with God, his standing before God. He wipes clean this man's sin. That's how I know Jesus was smiling, directing him down, because this man uh, was going to be renewed. He was going to be made a new creation in front of all of these people. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, we, we read the, the spiritual the scribes at the time, the elite at the time, begin thinking thoughts, not, not even speaking outside, but thinking thoughts that this is blasphemous, that only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus, being God, perceiving their thoughts, speaks out to them, and He said, why do you question these things in your heart? Why do you question these things in your heart? He goes on to say, which is easier for, the, for me to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your mat, your bed, and walk? Now, now, obviously, it would probably be easier for someone to say, your sins are forgiven. Can we check the proof? Can we figure that out? It'd be much more difficult, obviously, to forgive someone's sins. You would have to be God. But it would be easier to say, because there was no way for them probably to check the proof of that. But so that they would know that Jesus is the Messiah, is God in the flesh, He does the harder thing for them to see, the more difficult thing for them to see. And He says to the man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what's it say? And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never saw anything like this before. Friends, where I want to focus on today is the four men that Jesus said to them, because of your faith, while they're up on the roof, son, your, the man lying on the ground, sins are forgiven. And the question is, as we go through this, is I, I want to talk about how do we, at Grace Presbyterian Church, become a church that is committed to grabbing the corners of our community in Northeast Columbia and walking them to Jesus? I, I want to look at these four men. We know nothing about them. We don't know how far they traveled. We don't know if they were paid to do this. We don't know if they were family with this man or, friend, or friends with this man. We don't know anything about this, but at some point there was a relationship formed to the the point where they were willing to pick up this man's corner and carry him believing that what they were doing had a mission. Nobody just throws sandbags uh, up on your shoulders and walks around with them unless you're like a CrossFit guy or unless you have some kind of purpose in what you're doing. There was purpose in what they were doing and they formed that relationship and said, we are going to take you to the one who is able to heal. Friends, what is true about Northeast Columbia, 
what is true about Grace Presbyterian Church and what is true about each one of us that sit in this room today is that we are in need of a Savior. We are in need of one that will repair our heart and bring us wholly before God. We're in need of our lives being not only worked on here now where they're difficult and we're the victim, but we need our hearts changed for eternity. We need to be washed clean. We need to be a church that is grabbing corners in the community and literally bringing them to Jesus. Now, what I'm not saying is uh, bringing them to Grace Press. And I want you to hear that. Um, when we talk about loving our community and, and the gospel uh, going out into our community, what I'm, what, I'm saying, uh, what I'm not saying is for our church at Grace Prez to bring more people in so that we can grow. That's not the heart behind it. The end-all, be-all goal is for us to be corner bearers, to point and to bring people to the Messiah. To be willing to, for our lives to be uncomfortable at times because of the company we keep. To be sacrificing our time, our energy, and our money because we have one focus in mind, and that is the gospel. That is people leaving death and coming to life. Now, will the church grow because of that? Probably. But is that the goal? No. And there are plenty of churches in this community that it would be great if people began showing up to. But what we care about is that not only do they come to worship at a church, but that their lives are changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here's, here's what I want to put forward to you today. I want to give uh, two, um, I'll say categories, two categories that I think you and I very easily fall into that keeps us from becoming Similar to these four men, but especially uh, keeps us from becoming a church that is bringing, uh, that, are, that are becoming corner bears. Two things that I think keep us from being corner bears. Now, I'm going to start with the negative side of it, and I'm going to go through both of those, but I'm going to come back because I do believe that we are not hopeless. This is, I think, true about us at different times in our lives, but we are not hopeless because of Jesus. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But let me give you the first one. The first one I'm just going to name pious pride. And remember, this is what we're talking. We're talking through what keeps us from being corner bearers, uh, map bearers here at Grace Presbyterian Church. What keeps us from that? Well, I'm going to say pious pride. Um, these are the people that Jesus uh, had the biggest issue with during his earthly ministry. It was the people that say things like this, I'm, I'm not that bad, when they think of other people in the community. <laughs> I'm definitely better than that, at least I'm not there. It's, it's the people that say and think in their hearts, I'd never be like that. I don't know how they got there, but I would never be like that. I would never fall into that, I would never do that, I would never say that. I'm not that messy. My life's pretty put together. It's polished. I don't, I don't struggle with the same things. One time, Katie and I were in a Bible study. Uh, it was kind of more of a life group um, at a different church in a different city. And uh, this one couple was going through some pretty um, significant 
marital issues. And there was four, four of us there. We were in our living room, and uh, they were sharing, I mean, kind of opened up their hearts and really shared of some uh, really broken and hurting and uh, really difficult marriage issues going on. And it was quiet for a moment. It was kind of like, can you pray for us? <laughs> and then it moves to the next couple, and the next couple was like, man, that's so hard. We never fight. We never have any issues like that. Oh, so sorry that happened. Could you be any more unrelatable at that point in life? And you're lying. Because <laughs> if you've been married more than an hour, you're lying. Right? Right? Right, Katie? Um, no. Uh, but... That's the reality. Can you be any more unrelatable and sympathetic to walk alongside of somebody? There's been some people in this church, uh, I won't name names, that have been wonderful walking alongside of us in some of the hardest parts of this year um, and praying for us and checking in on us. Um, But I'm focusing here on the pious pride. Um, I want to give you a heads up. If if you are thinking along those lines, and listen, I'm just going to say it, friends, we are all guilty of this in different ways, okay? So I'm not like speaking to just like five of you in the room because I know that you're dealing with pious pride. I'm speaking to all of us, including myself, that this is a real issue. And I would say, I would go even as far to say in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, this is a significant issue that we will battle and must be willing to confront and move forward if we are going to be corner bearers in our community. And so let me continue on. I want to give you just a heads up that I'm not making this up, uh, that if you just were to continue to read, pick up in verse 13, Jesus meets Matthew, who turns out to be one of the apostles, uh, Levi at at the time. And guess what? Levi is a tax collector, the most despicable of sinners of the Jewish people, right? They turned on their own people and worked for Rome and and, and really sought the gain of, of, uh, of taking care of the Roman purse, instead of taking care of the Jewish people, brothers and sisters. And it goes on to say that Matthew invited him to his house, and what's he do? The Pharisees come up to his disciples and are like, why is your rabbi, Jesus, eating and reclining with sinners and tax collectors? They were at Matthew's house. Why is he doing that? It's it's this separatist kind of thought that's going on. Um, the, the, pious, the person dealing with pious pride is, is offended by the person instead of the person's sin. Can you hear that? Offended by the person instead of the person's sin. Alright, let me give you one other thing. They, they, uh, as I was talking about being attractive and being um, salt in the earth, Christians, we are never less attractive than when it looks never less attractive to the unbelieving world than when we act and speak like we have arrived on our own merit. Or, or that we have, we're able to pass judgment because we are never in need. Or, or we believe that, that we are just better and stronger and that's why we haven't fallen into the lifestyles that the person, said person, has fallen into. Are you understanding where the pious pride is coming from? When you look at the scribes in this, in this uh, chapter, 
They were quick to apply the judgment of God, but they were unaware of their own resume. None of them could stand before God. They were quick to apply the judgment of God, but, but threw their own resume out the window of where they've been and who they are. Friends, the, what I said a moment ago is, is I do think that this is one of the largest dangers in our church. It, it, both, both in maybe a, the larger Presbyterian Reformed church, but, but I'm, I can only speak really to grace. And I, I would say we tend to live in a culture where it's not okay to not be okay. We tend to live in a culture that... that um, where we're surrounded by people, people either non-believers or believers that ask us how we're doing, and we're even the ones that ask, and oftentimes we don't really want to know how they're doing. What we want to know is, good, oh good, okay, good. Right? We are these people that if we are going to be true to the value of Grace Presbyterian Church, of searching, we have to be people that actually take interest and care when we ask the question, how are you doing? We very easily, and this is human nature, this is sinful nature, we tend to cover up. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden after they had sinned? They covered up. God called for them and they covered and hid. We don't want to be found out because if we're found out, friends, we're scared that we're not going to be liked or even loved. But isn't that what the Gospel is? To be fully known and to be fully loved? You guys, you know that. The Gospel is that God fully knows us despite our sin while we are still enemies, comes and sacrifices Himself for us because He fully loves you. It's a place where we move that we, we don't have to be shiny, happy people syndrome, as Ransom has said. That this is a place for broken people to be gathered up, to be cared for, to be welcomed, to be grown. And those people are going to be different than you and me. Not because of our sin, but because of our lifestyles. Because of the things that happen in the house when, when uh, other people aren't around. So friends, I'm inviting you into this. Part of this is we have to own, before we can be corner bearers, we have to own the reality that we tend to come in with some pious pride. And, and I'll address how the Gospel speaks to that in a moment. Let me give you the other one that uh, we're talking about today. Forgotten identity. Or maybe you could say misplaced authority. Okay, And, and what I want you to, to hear in that is um, it's this desire to please man rather than living the good life in Christ. And I was watching um, this week on Netflix, I'm like out of movies, which is probably terrible. Um, it probably says I've watched too many or whatever, but um, I was watching this movie, I'm not, spoiler alert, it's, it's like, I think the book is like 50 years old, so um, but it's called Into the Wild. Anybody ever see Into the Wild, the movie, the actual movie? You can raise your hand. Yeah, like five of us. Okay, so spoiler alert, sorry. Um, anyway, the whole premise of the movie is, is this young man graduates college from a wealthy, affluent, but, but broken and beat up 
uh, kind of family situation, household. He burns his secure, social security card. He cuts up his ID. He burns all of the money that came from his parents and sets out to really find life and what life is all about. Loses his identity. Purposefully. Uh, only to find at the end of the movie, um, he's living in the wilderness and he's, he's eating a berry that is poisonous. Um, and he's dying. And the only thing he wants is to go back to the relationships that he uh, came from. Is he sees the reality of being fully known and being fully loved. It, he sees that, that relationally, life's fulfillment wasn't going to be found in him searching out his own quest for his own identity, but that his identity was already there. And now he, is, he was... He was away from it. He wasn't with the identity, and there was no way physically for him to get back to this identity. Friends, I, I say that because I want to ask the question, have you forgotten your identity? As a Christian, and I'm speaking to the believers in the room today, have you forgotten your identity? Uh, I mean, the reality is we look for man's approval over our saviors every day. We want to be liked. And oftentimes... We, we read um, and wonder why Scripture speaks so much about avoiding man's approval. It's because we love it. We desire it. It, 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 it fills us up. Our, our glory is being filled up. We, we get fame from it. We, we, we're noticed. We're somebody. It paints an identity that is that is usually different than the identity that we're really ingrained in and secured in. And so the problem is that we're seeking our glory, our fame. We're, we're, we're avoiding, and I'm, I'm not talking about conflict in this, in this while, while I'm discussing this. What I'm talking about is that we are scared to open our mouths um, we're scared to do some kind of deed. We're scared to live freely into the identity that we truly are because we're really scared of what that person's opinion will be of us going forward. And so we've forgotten our identity. We've misplaced the authority. Paul oftentimes talks about this. And he goes forward, and this is why Paul can say, he says in 1 Corinthians, but with me, it's, very, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. It's this realization of my authority and my, or my identity and standing before God that I don't even have the power to judge myself. And this isn't a, I don't care about you guys, I'm a renegade. That's not his heart in this. He's saying, you're Thoughts about me don't define me. They, they don't shape me in any way, but one, one person's does, and that's God. And so I'm going to live into that good life. Well, let me pivot here as we move into how we're changed. We're going to wrap up with this. I'm just going to address these, these, these two ways that I think truly impact us significantly from being corner bears 
and, and, and I want to pivot and, and, and talk through those. I'll start with the one we were just talking about, forgotten identity or misplaced authority. How do we change? And friends, we change because of the gospel. We change not because, and this is going to be true for both, both of them, but we change not because we are, are good enough, are strong enough, have enough wisdom or knowledge, because we you know, have tightened up our bootstraps and we're able to trek through the treacherous uh, terrain of life. That's not why we change. How we change is dying to ourselves, our power, our strength, and living in the resurrected life of Jesus. That's how we change. We don't change because of our own merit, our own goodness, our own plan. We change because we, we transfer our trust from ourselves and we place it and transfer it upon Jesus. And so, for those that have forgotten their identity, what do we need to know? What do we need to focus on? We need to focus on the resurrection. We need to focus on the reality that our God has defeated death. That the Lord Jesus literally died, was punished for us, and then rose victoriously conquering death. We need to realize that our Lord Jesus, I want you to hear this this morning, our Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father at this moment. And He is speaking on your behalf as a believer. He represents you. You're, you're literally covered by Him and you are represented for all of eternity. Not just till you get to heaven, but for all of eternity, Jesus will testify and re uh, represent you as being His. Let that sink in for a moment. We get the best. We need to remember the reality that after Jesus, after Jesus uh, left this earth and ascended to heaven, that He gave us the Holy Spirit. Friends, you have the Spirit of God. One person of the triune God lives inside of you, has made His home inside of you. You are more powerful and have more authority over this world than any man could ever give you. You have the right and the authority to share where your hope lies. Not in the way that the world likes to toss around authority, but in the way of compassion, in the way of humbleness or humility, in the way of caring and loving. That's the kind of weapons we bring into this world. We put on the armor of God. Steve has loved Kelly. Or, or Ransom has loved Paul. Those, are, those loves break down. They're human. But as I have loved you, go love others. Well, we'll finish with how does the Gospel speak to the pious proud? as we deal with our own religious pride. How does, the gospel, how does the gospel mix in, change us, move us? Well, I think we need to focus on the cross. If that's us, if we're struggling with pride of looking down our spiritual nose at other people, whether believers or non-believers, 
I think we need to take a step back and look at the cross and look at Jesus hanging on the cross. Not for you or, or, or him or her, but for the person that's dealing with religious pride. That he bore the cross for you. Why did he have to die? Why was he the only able substitute? The cross humbles us in Jesus' love for us. We have to be willing to look at that and go, I am only here because of that man's sacrifice. The God-man, Jesus. I only stand righteous because He represents me. So friends, I think we need to remember who we were before Jesus. We all have stories before we met the Lord of what our lives look like. And that's, that's our testimony, how God has saved us in there. But don't forget that after the Lord has saved you, I don't know about you, but my life is still broken and sinful. I've been clothed in righteousness. And the day is coming where I will be fully, uh, this sinfulness will be fully removed from me and I will stand before the Lord and, and He will present me flawless and blameless to God. But while we're in this in-between time, we're living in broken and messy times. And we are just as much in need of Jesus now as a believer as we were in Jesus before we had salvation. So here's, here's what I'll wrap up with, friends. Um, the Gospel, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is the most beautiful, powerful thing that you will ever do in your life. That you will ever share. That you will ever present. That you will ever speak on. That you will ever pray for. There is nothing in your life, and I'm talking kids, parents, careers, um, aspirations, hobbies, accolades. Friends, hear me. There is nothing that will bring more beauty, more fullness, and will ever be better than you believing and knowing God and sharing this Gospel with other people. It's the most important thing we do as humans. That's aligning us with God being the authority in our identity instead of man being the authority in our identity. And so, as we leave here today, um, you're going you're gonna to walk outside and you'll see uh, there's a whiteboard out there and a table. And um, we have a committee that was put together uh, a couple years ago to do some research um, and actually figure out how can we be corner bearers in the Northeast? How can we really have a gospel impact and be God's people that are not only believing and being taught and loving the Lord together, but actually being willing to go search out the lost. And those three things are Pontiac Elementary School, which is across the street. And you go, I, I, don't, I don't do well with kids. That's okay. There's teachers, administrators, custodians, parents. How do we impact the, that school for the love, with the love of Jesus? You can get more information about that. The Blake, which is right next door, is a retirement home. Why well, don't do good with old people? Well, you got to find somewhere you do good, okay? Um, young, old, looks like you're hanging out with 20-year-olds. 
Hope that's your cup of tea. Um, no, but I, maybe, maybe you go, well, that's not necessarily my thing, but, but let me tell you about the need and the loneliness that goes on over there and, and how they have not had, been able to have visitors for, for going on 16 months, 14 months at this point. What does that look like for us to care for them and not let them sit in their own thoughts every day alone, separated? Or maybe even young lives. So you might fit in here. They're teenagers. But they're teenagers that carry a burden. They're teenagers that often get overlooked and get pushed aside. They're teenagers that have had a, have had a kid. They've had a baby. Are we going to look down our spiritual nose at them and say, shouldn't have made that decision? Or are we going to be people that realize that I am sinful and I am broken and I am in just as much need as this young lady that is, that is becoming a woman before the time she's ready to do that. No, we're going to go care for her because Christ compels us to. And you can find out more about that outside as well. I'm going to leave you with this thought of um, something we've talked a lot about in Young Life, and I, I, I truly believe that it's, uh, it's essential. And I, I think it's something that is good for us to frame and believe as we think about the Great Commission, as we think about going after the lost with the good news, what if you thought of yourself as a missionary in the field that you were placed? What if you were bold enough to pray and ask God to make you a missionary in the place where He has put you? Whether that's serving in some kind of uh, civic organization, whether it's, it's an industrial job, whether it's a a, a more of a white-collar business professional kind of job, wherever he has put you. What if you pray and you ask God that today I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a missionary that's disguised as a lawyer because that's where my, my priority lies. I'm going to be an officer that is a missionary, a missionary disguised as an officer, a missionary that's disguised as a dentist, a missionary that's disguised as a mom that works the house, and the kids, a missionary in all the places that God has put me and have eyes to see as like that. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this morning. We are so grateful, Lord, that, that you and your word is living and active. And I pray, Lord, that as we today even feel, I know as I, as I preach this sermon, I feel not only excitement, but I also feel my inadequacies. And I know that the people here probably feel that too. How do we gain the pride, or gain, excuse me, gain the, gain the trust to follow you into hard, uncomfortable places? How do we gain the strength and the wisdom to know um, how to be corner bearers? Lord, I pray that you would make it very clear to us, and I pray that we would move from people that think and believe and talk into people that take action as well. And only you can give us that strength, God. We are not able to muster that up. And so I pray this over our people today. We pray this for the good of the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus. Amen.